Hello everyone and welcome to Hash Talk. I'm your host Sankalp Shangari and friends call me Sunny. At Hash Talk, we bring you the latest news, narratives and interviews with recognized change makers in the field of blockchain and related technologies. These creative personalities share how they're bringing about a change, what prompted them to do so, what are their future plans, their life experiences and tips for all of us to become better at work as well as in this fast-paced life. So let's dive right in. And this week we have my friend and my very close associate Eric Alexander. Eric is one of the very very well-known marketing guys in Asia. He's the founder and and the CEO of Jetcoin, a very inspiring entrepreneur uh, who doesn't have time because he's so busy but I'm very thankful to Eric today for giving us some time and taking out uh, his his precious time for this interview thank you Eric as always how are you I'm great thank you Sankar for the invite look forward to the interview you always welcome Eric and it's a pleasure to have you here and let's let's dive right in and and I I have always wanted to know who is Eric where where is Eric coming from what is your background where did you grew up and and how did you end up starting jetcoin all right so my background i came from uh, i'm from paris first of all and um, i started learning uh, fashion photography and uh, film development i used to work in one hour photo lab back in my teens and was really intrigued by photography at early stage I uh, moved to New York and opened a photo studio, became a fashion photographer and started working with brands, artists and, uh, big, and big companies. Later on, I started to discover uh, filmmaking and I was doing video, experimenting with digital and shooting uh, fashion shows, corporate video, TV commercial. Then moved to Asia and uh, as a successful film director in advertising and TV producer. And uh, all across my experience in Asia, I was always working with emerging talent like new superstar, new faces. And of course, by uh, advertising these uh, young talent in big brands like Mercedes, Lexus, uh, BMW, and so forth, these people became famous more and more. So at one point uh, in my life, I, I, I started collaborating closely with Elite Model, which is uh, one of the top agencies in the world, the market leader. And uh, I was the creative director for the international final of the Model Look, which is a platform that actually seeks uh, the, the most beautiful girl who followed the fashion trend from Europe in, uh, in every market across the globe. And once a year, does a world final where the top 15 finalists will be sent to Paris to further the careers. So as a creative director, I was in charge of the live broadcast, the talent search, and mostly to filter the finalists to, to be sent to Paris. And um, after three years of that experience, I was offered a license for Singapore and Southeast Asia, and I was interested to do the talent search at the local level because I never was able to capture the transformation from a young model to become a supermodel. So I yeah. started to organize the talent search here in Singapore, and... Uh, the moment I actually got the elite brand license in my business card, I started to rub shoulder with CEOs, head of banks, and all the woos-woos in that small market because I was a GM or managing director of a leading brand in the world. So I became part of the, that niche network of the top guys 
I become friends with everybody, but all of a sudden, I start to face some issue like I had to raise funding to develop my talent. So all these girls I had were all guys because we're the agency for both male and female. We're looking for funds all the time to send them to Paris, to Milan, to work with top photographers because we have to develop a proper portfolio before we could introduce them to big brands. So in my naive idea, since I knew so many bankers, I went to see most of them and said, let's do the elite fund where actually the investor will be able to pick some of the talent we picked and uh, when the talent matures, they share revenue. In the meantime, we can offer some of the lifestyle to be invited to fashion show, to parties, or if this investor like beautiful house like in Santosa or Supercar, we could actually use them for the photo shoot to help us to create portfolio and it will give them a test of what is to be of a, to, to be part of the fashion world and the latest trend. So obviously the bank told me the regulator would never accept that ID, so I share that ID, I say, Fine, it's not going to work. So that phone ID was naive, but uh, it's not going to work. So a few years later, one of my friends, which is the top player in the F&B industry, asked me to take care of his son, who was a young soccer player in uh, Spain at that time, at Espanol, and uh, to develop his image uh, brand a bit like uh, Neymar or like Beckham. These guys become super big because of the image brand, also the performance, but image brand was a big part of their success or who they are today. No, the same with Ronaldo and so forth. So we developed the portfolio and we started discovering that there were really a big problem in the football industry, like there are a lot of ex-players who become agents and not really like uh, straightforward and take advantage of parents who want their, to see their son playing in big team and are willing to pay a lot of money, but most of his agents not necessarily do the right work because that money obviously has been uh, used for other means like sponsoring the club or supporting the club. I don't think it's the right way anywhere to develop some risk value but to pay the people on the ground. So I told him, listen, the best way to actually to, to support the club would be actually to uh, sponsor the club and give them some KPI and as the club it help us to develop some talents. So based on this, I was uh, thinking, well, to sponsor a club, we're looking for funds and uh, I find it's not that easy to find funds who are actually willing to uh, support talent and support clubs. So we talked to, we found like four to five funds on the planet who actually invest actively in talent, but they're really uh, secret, really hard to approach. And uh, so I was out of solution and I spoke to one of my friends who was based in Hong Kong. He was a VC in a Bitcoin, start, in Bitcoin startup and said, why don't we do something like um, Indiegogo or Kickstarter? And he said, well, Eric, why don't you come? He was back in 2014. I'm sponsoring Inside Bitcoin, and maybe you can pick up some ideas from there. So I went to Hong Kong in 2014, and it was really Blockchain 101. I was lucky because every there were a lot of uh, panels, but the panel were not so advanced as today. It was really teaching people how to use a wallet, make a transaction, where were the few protocols available, and that was the emergence of Ethereum coming with smart contracts. And for me, as a creative person coming from advertising, photography, filmmaking, really what blew my mind. I, had, I saw that uh, panel, it was about altcoin. At that time, there were only like 30 altcoin. And I said, you can create a currency where there's own functionality and where smart money. I said, well, maybe my idea to do a, a fund or crowdfund emerging talent could actually be reenacted. And I decided to, to create Jetcom. That, that's where it came from. Awesome. Awesome. I was, I was actually not aware of this story. And this is, this is really amazing. Um, hustling. From the beginning, uh, becoming a fashionista and going into advertising, photography, filming, fashion, learning the ropes and, and then seeing an opportunity every time 
and then wondering what and how can you twist that opportunity uh, like, like a true entrepreneur and then finding JetCoin. Amazing, amazing. So, 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 so tell us about what is JetCoin, what is it like running JetCoin and, and what is that particular thing that you wish you knew before you started JetCoin or early days of JetCoin? Okay, so for me, since I uh, such a strong background in uh, branding advertising for major brands across the globe, I always, I always feel branding is important to print your name and logo into the human DNA or the, the collective memory of people. So I really started by branding. We said, okay, let's go branding. At that time, the partner was supposed to handle the tech of it. So my real focus was remarketing, branding, and putting Jack on the, on the map. So the first thing we did, we actually sponsored a football club in Serie A. It was Cabo Verona. Before we came to this club, we actually it was a bit of a gamble. First, we looked at, okay, which club can, can we work with? If you look at the big club in Italy, Juventus, Inter Milan, or in the UK, Manchester United, Manchester City, or France, Paris Saint-Germain, they're all of rich. But we start yeah. to study the market. Let's look at what is football, what, what are the biggest club, and what are the biggest market. We found that Italy, in fact, used to be bigger than the UK under Napoli with Maradona and Platini back in the 70s up to the 80s. And if, you, if we look at coming from broadcast and advertising, we look at the broadcast footprint of the Italian football club, and we find out Italy, surprisingly, is the second biggest broadcasted uh, game on the world after the UK. So we say, okay, let's look at Italy as potential club, and we find out if you study the brands sponsoring the club below the mid-table, those are normally local brands. They're not like big brands. They're not international brands because those are smaller clubs and they don't have so much exposure, but still they have a decent fan base who could be activated. So we start to focus on a club who are below the mid-table, below the top 10, and we approach a few of them and say, guys, we are... I have a new solution, which is called cryptocurrency. We talked about 2014, it was super early days. The press had bashed us really bad. Bitcoin was a drug dealer money. So few clubs were actually interesting on the opportunity because they saw that as the opening for the first. We really play a strong card, the Asian card. And luckily at that time, my friend was the founder of Samsung Pay and uh, Samsung has an app called Sportflow. And we struck a partnership with Sportflow to preload the Jetcon app within uh, their smartphone, even though nothing was ready, but we had a contract. So we leveraged the fact we had the Asian access. And we say with cryptocurrency, you can actually leverage your fan base in Asia or create a new fan base because Asia at that time we saw was really open to cryptocurrency, which is as of today, still the truth. So few clubs were actually quite interested, but to the point three clubs actually fought to have us. So part of the deal we made with them, it will be a part played in cryptocurrency to have them supporting us in a crowdfunding part of it and give us visibility. And Kiro Verona was the most aggressive and uh, put our logo on the front shirt. And it was the first time a cryptocurrency sponsored football club had a front shirt on the Serie A football team. And that's how we started it. So wow, we, we put a landing page <laughs> and... Uh, at that time, we had 96,000 signups. So, no, in terms of branding, securing this deal, I had the knowledge coming from advertising, understanding brand with elite, sponsoring brand, doing advertising for big brand. I could speak to club. I could actually make the proposal really interesting. What I wish I knew at that time, I made more research on the tech, where the tech was at, and the people in that tech space. I didn't realize it was so new. And what I was asking from them, because the JetCon platform, 
which is today ready and fully implemented on Ethereum, I was asking them, I want an app where people can actually commit or support talent, or people can buy reward and can send receive token. For me, it seems simple, but when I was explaining what I wanted, everybody in that space had their own idea what I needed, and I think I didn't know what I needed, they didn't know what I needed, but I knew what I wanted at the time. And the, the tech really was a challenge for me to understand actually and to implement. And that was my longest journey in that space. Awesome. This, this, is, this is great. Um, early adopter, you know, both of us obviously have been in the Asian and global crypto scene for, for years now. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, we've been friends and we've known each other. And, but, but, but I always talk to my, my friends and, and, and your, your name and your business comes up uh, more than once where, where you still stand out as the only crypto sport crowdsourcing fundraising for for sport and talent obviously football is your forte but i know you are you are now venturing into cricket and tennis and 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 other things as well your wallet is uh, live and well kicking which is great um, and and it's a beautiful interface by the way uh, and i would i would recommend all my listeners to download the wallet and 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 support it because because there is immense amount of tokens to be won rewards referrals everything in there and 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 it is a great business jetcoin it stands out in the sporting world and and single handedly how how eric has built it this is tremendous very good uh, so so what from where do we go from here with jetcoin what is our vision strategy uh, what, what is what is the future for Jetcoin? So I think today we are finally at the point we, we should have been from the start after a four-year leverage journey through crypto regulation and mostly for us was technology. So today we finally have a working product on iOS Android. Now we can start implementing our talent. So we signed some interesting partnership with Prime Sports, right? We have a super model talent for Myanmar. And all this talent we're signing now have a user base, and we're also working with football club in the UK still. We have partnership we yet, we yet have to announce. But the interesting part, now we have a product, we have a shop technically. We're going to launch our first talent and do activation. So what's the solution? Now we have uh, Mamie Yatno. She's a supermodel, Miss Myanmar, ex-Asian, ex-top model. She has 800,000 fans between Instagram and Facebook. We don't want to go specifically to the crypto world or the non-crypto people, we go straight to our fan. Say, guys, we, we need to send May to Paris to do a photo shoot with Alex Bensimo, a top fashion photographer for Chanel and Big Brand. We need to raise 35,000 US. Can you guys partake? And if you partake, when actually May makes some big campaign in Europe, you'll be able to receive some reward incentive and you have at least the honor to be part of that journey. And we're also talking NFT token, which is down the line with uh, uh, limited edition images will take value as it goes, but creating a pool of supporter for them, almost like a, an IEO, but just focus on the talent for a really short uh, amount and for a specific activity done to the talent. So the community of the talent can see the performance or oh, the photo shoot is there, we have video, we have pictures, the photo comes out, the portfolio grows, campaigns are coming, and to actually enable the fan of that super talent to actually participate of the journey and support it. So that is, that's going to be our first proof of concept with the talent. So we have many talents in the pipeline, but of course we take our time, we do one by one. But this working will open so many doors to every talent who will come to us and see how is your solution. Wow, great, great. And, and, and how do you spread the word that you are ready and 
talent should come to you how how does the talent become aware that that eric and jet coin are there to help well today i think we have a lot of press and we're pretty much everywhere but i think doing it with one right it's actually moving the over but the partnership we have with prime sports right given access to 10, 12 players from the top team across europe so the talent pool is there talent anywhere when we don't talk about superstar emerging talent in sport entertainment fashion they always at the time, there's a time, there's a point break, like they can go the other side or they don't make it. I think there's many agencies out there like IMG, like other group, and there's many big agencies, model agencies, sport agencies, always calling for this talent, but not necessarily like a big focus. For us, we want to do one by one and help the talent to develop their online presence with Twitter, Facebook, websites, and grow their fan base or leverage their fan base they have to help them to grow further at the international level. So we don't necessarily look for number, we look for a few, but good ones who are actually able to grow with us and become a solution. Because so, if you look on a lot of crowdfunding solutions today, they can accept everybody, anybody, I think it gets diluted. If you're more boutique and focus on specific talent, then all of a sudden you have a better chance to grow organically and have a pool of a successful talent or vision for us, because you asked earlier on, is to have between 60 to 100 talent who are functioning within our, our talent pool. And I think it's enough. Yeah, yeah. I think I think for our listeners uh, uh, and for myself, I would really like to understand how Jetcoin is different from a talent agency. Uh, because for talent agency, when uh, okay, I think when you sign in a talent agency as a talent, you're just a number down the line. Um, let, let's separate model agency and talent agency, right? So talent agency, you have agent, talent agency, and you have model agency, right? Three of them have similar mission, is to grow and develop the talent. But we'll come on a time, today we have influencer, marketer, you have talent, we have models, we have talent, we have athletes. Most of these agencies are waiting for the talent to perform. And, when the talent, and sometimes the talent performs, but sometimes the talent has a downside where they don't perform. And they get, they get quickly disregarded. I mean, this is really true in the fashion industry. If you look at uh, models, most of the time they have a, they have a short lifespan nowadays. One year, two years. Oh, there's a new flavor. Or she hasn't shown to two jobs. She was sick. Boom. Another, there's people lining up. Football is quite similar as well. So it's always performance driven. But no, what we do, we're building an active fan base and we have a metric system. So let's say if we have a like. 50,000, 100,000 supporters of one talent, that becomes an active fan base, and that talent becomes an automatic influencer and we have a real metric system. So it becomes uh, more difficult for the brand to ditch the talent, or even for the agency, because no, that talent is not alone. And that when the talent is done, then they say, hey, but I have a metric system, I have 200,000 people supporting me, do you want to ditch, that, you want to ditch my supporter as well? And that's what's happening. So I think that's a big difference. Wow. Okay. So, so, so basically, you know, like we've always said that, that from a pure centralized model in the last uh, five odd years, we have moved to a peer-to-peer system mm-hmm. um, and, and gradually with, with blockchain and, and all, we are moving to a pure decentralized system. Yes. Uh, we are not there, obviously, and it's a very nascent technology, but, but I think the road is very clear. Uh, Bitcoin and most of the crypto are mainstream now. It is an asset now. And and it is very uh, heartening to know that there are businesses like yourself who are who are who are disrupting a traditional old 
centralized market and creating a peer-to-peer system. And that leads to the next question for me. Would this ever be decentralized or how far do you think generally we are from a pure decentralized world? I think, I don't know, the, the way we work today as a modern startup tech company, I think we are decentralized by definition. I mean, not in a term as blockchain uh, sense it uh, or describe it or Bitcoin, but most of the business, my own business or business uh, of entrepreneur or businessman in the tech space, the team already is decentralized. You have 20 people across the globe, not in the same place, all working on the cloud. The cloud is, today we look at uh, the resources, retirement and capacity. So centralized power, of course, we have a group of people controlling, but today it's going to happen like, look at on the blockchain function. If the transaction is, is designed by one node, then it doesn't go through. I think it's going to be the same with company, entrepreneur, individual. If they don't deliver the service, then they get cut off automatically because they they, they disregarded by the whole network. But as a, as a startup today, we function as a network. We function as a blockchain system. But we don't see it this way because human talking to human. We like to be on the same office, but if you look at it, your lawyer is not your office, your accountant is not your office today, but your tech team might be not your office, your regulator. Everybody is decentralized today in the way they work. Nobody, I don't see many companies working in one place, everybody in one office. Even for the big corporation, they are decentralized at a certain level. The only thing that's centralized today is the power of decision making. So I think that's why the blockchain will disrupt that, because the moment we put the voting system in place, then it will change. I think what won't happen First, at the corporation level, it will happen at the political level. One day, we're going to see a new generation of politicians who's going to say, you know something? I understand you don't trust the system. I understand our system doesn't work. We're going to put every voting system for every big decision on the blockchain, and your voice will have a say. Maybe not 100% of the say. Maybe there will be delicate votes. But the moment a young politician will come and endorse blockchain, implement it in a country, and I think it will start in a small country, it could be Singapore, Malta, Switzerland, because it will start in a smaller country and it works, then it's going to replicate everywhere and there will be no way back. But is that a good thing? Uh, is, what, what is that fine line between decentralization and populism? Brexit, for example, is a classic example where, where everything was put to vote and, and what a mess it is. Okay, so I think Brexit is a good example. Brexit, they gave the entire decision to the people. Yeah. I think it could have been a mixed decision. This is why I think the blockchain implementation is interesting. You could have like the parliament who have more says, more votes. Yeah. You can have the people who have a potential of say, and then there could be a consultation based on this vote. I think Brexit was left to the people and left to, prop- to propaganda to say, oh, if you leave Europe, then you'll be economically free and make more money. I mean, anybody could say anything. But now, if the vote had been uh, partially... Uh, approved by the people or the parliament or different powers in place and it will be distributed votes like a distributed ledger maybe a different outcome yeah so 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 there has to be a decentralized say but not fully a more like a hybrid system but but uh, but but some percentage dedicated to a centralized system as well because they have access to more information or decision making or background or, or resources no, yes totally Etc. Yes, I, I, I totally I think agree with you, and I think that is why uh, one reason, if you look at exchanges today or blockchain infrastructure companies today, we, we see that centralized businesses are winning. Of course. If you look at the DeFi structures, yes, uh, a lot of uh, innovation is coming, a lot of projects are coming, but, but if you look at the number of users, 
it's still very low. Mm-hmm. The businesses, the revenue, the profits are still not there. Um, and and I think I think it's it, it'll be a while before that comes in. But but I think you rightly said that that hybrid is the way to go uh, till that comes, or probably for forever. Uh, so 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 that that is that is something to keep in mind. Um, and 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 you know along with that, I think I think what is also very important is governments, the regulators, the help that they can give or not give. And who, in your opinion, what in your opinion is 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 that regulator or or that regulation which could which could uh, help blockchain industry or crypto in general? Well, I feel we have actually good uh, governance and regulation in place in our system today. But I think the issue we have today are both respected by a central bank and governments. I don't think technically I like the current regulation. I think blockchain can help us to give us more visibility and make more accountability. Today, it's not really changing the regulation. It's adapting them to the new ecosystem. I don't think the transformation has to be so big. It's just uh, adaptation. But it's more, I think, um, the implementation and I think the accountability. Now, if we don't follow regulation as official in government, as custodian, so maybe then we can see it and know we can uh, you can get punished. Because what we saw in 2008 with the CDO and all the banks starting to crack, I mean, signed by Lehman Brothers, yeah. and then get bailed out by taxpayer money yeah. or by government, that becomes a big no because that was speculation as utterance. I mean, the U.S. were lending, mon- lending money, I mean, to people who came out of jail with no credit background just to fill their pockets. This was the accountability. I think today the emergence of a big content directly because of this. So it shows regulation were in place. In fact, under the Clinton administration and before that, they start to remove the regulation in place after 1929. We actually could avoid the crisis we live in and the U.S. dominance as it is today. I think regulation should be in place. They should be enforced, implemented, and accountability should, should rise. Absolutely. Again, I think uh, a very a very new and very different narrative that is that is popping up these days is all about stable coins and currencies. Mm. Uh, if I relate this to the 2008 crisis, uh, and uh, for my sins, I was a banker back then with with uh, Deutsche and J.P. Morgan. So, 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 and uh, uh, some, some, some very fond memories from there. Uh, there, there are there are four types of currencies that are that are popping up now. Uh, I think for the first time in history, we are seeing uh, corporations and their own currencies versus governments. And then obviously we have the Bitcoin and the age-old fear. But but one one narrative which is which is popping up again and again uh, in 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 very private circles right now is is a individual currency, a private currency where you, me, ten. Uh, worthy influencers, uh, probably we are not that worthy, yeah, okay. <laughs> but but uh, but maybe Pomp or Arjun or or, uh, or maybe Paco right now with the Pack token. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So probably they they could come up with their own currency, and and I think, uh, but 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 I think that the the question that I really want to ask is uh, the the biggest narrative in town today, which is which is China versus US. Hmm. How does that impact crypto? How obviously it will lead to a UST strengthening. It will lead to a gold strengthening. It will lead to equity market fluctuations more in the emerging market than I, 
But what does it all mean for Bitcoin and crypto? I think for today, because we still are at the bridge of a financial world which has been there for centuries, and we see the emergence of a new financial uh, world, which is the crypto or the blockchain industry, right? For me, I see, I'm more radical on this. I'm not against necessarily corporation creating the crypto individual. I believe what we undermine is the, actually the power of the community accepting it and using it. What are we going to see if tomorrow McDonald's does their token? Let them do it. If people decide the moment McDonald's does wrongdoing or they sell wrong product, then people will degenerate their value. And what's going to be interesting, people, McDonald's or other brand will have to be careful what they do now because the consumer will be more aware because what corporations don't understand or even Facebook doesn't understand, I think it's quite seductive to create your money and spend it and uh, decide, oh, no, I'm a super rich guy creating my token. But the downside of it, the adoptions are create accountability for what you're doing and the way you govern your, your token policy. So yes, we talk about today's stablecoin is there because we've all been used to have stability as human, even though we live in a planet was not so stable after all in, in a scheme of things. But if you look at, uh, I think stablecoin, uh, I, I think our reason to be today is going to be the easiest way to bring mass adoption to it. Because people are afraid of, 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 of fluctuations anyway to tell them, oh, I give you a token which can take 50% today or lose 50% value all of a sudden. For the current economic system where we're living in, uh, I think a stable coin have value, a basket of uh, stable coin have value. But in the long run, I think those will be deep because the real economy is trust. I think at one point, it doesn't matter if you have a million different cryptocurrency or only uh, 10 the people will decide what they want and there will be technology to swap those uh, in real time and people will decide what they use or not. And with the cryptocurrency they have, I mean, let's look even further down the line. Let's imagine a user who has 20 cryptocurrency on his wallet and all of a sudden he lost trust in this uh, currency, decide not to use it anymore and realize the other currency as he put trust more to take over the value from the one he lost, he will ditch it automatically. The cons- even the consensus won't happen anymore because the people will ditch what they want. So today we go on the consumer-centric uh, market on product. I think will be the same with currency. But, uh, f- funny you say that. Uh, last week we had a narrative on this podcast where where the the, the summary uh, uh, and and the result that we came up with was that in the end the currency or the business which is consumer-focused and which the consumer says is credit-worthy and trustworthy will win. It exactly. doesn't matter if it's McDonald's or Starbucks or Facebook or Walmart. Exactly. It doesn't matter if it's the government. I think I think I think we are we are quickly accelerating to that that way where where credibility and trust trustworthiness will become most important. And and it is a fact today that that we are losing that trust in the current system. Mm-hmm. Current monetary system is broken. Current system is collapsing gradually. USD cannot be the king always, mm-hmm. but USD still is the king because there is no other uh, credit-worthy alternative today. Sure. Right. So, 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 totally agree with you on that. Uh, what, Eric? Eric, what, what is the? Uh, you know, you know. I, I want to move on to some, some more uh, lighter uh, things, mm-hmm. which is, which is about you and and the learnings that you want to share uh, with our audience. Um, what is the best advice? that you have ever gotten in life? From experience, uh, from a point of view, right? From a, uh, one from a professional work point of view and one from a life philosophy point of view. 
So I think I have two experiences for me where we're groundbreaking, who really like actually influenced me a lot to be who I am today. The first one, I was uh, in New York in my photo studio uh, downtown, and I was a young fashion photographer. I just took off my, I just took over my studio, and uh, I had to share like couple room with roommate because I had to pay, uh, I had to pay my, my rent. And the month of December was coming, and I had a friend who was a promoter of a big uh, nightclub series to offer you an exhibit for your photos. So I saw big, I decided to do picture of two meter high by one meter wide. I stole all my equipment, did a James Bond story photo shoot, and it was New Year's Eve uh, party. I expected to sell everything. And actually, I sold absolutely nothing. So I sold my equipment, and I had a roommate from South Africa. And uh, a week before we went to, to a club, and the girl working at a coach was some South African, they become friends. And I remember going back to my loft on the 30th December before New Year's Eve. I was totally broke, and no money at all. I had the picture back on the roof of a yellow cab in New York. So I'm in a studio, and the next day, my roommate from South Africa said, what, what are we going to do for New Year's I said, I don't know, mate. I'm totally broke. I have no money. I don't even, I don't even know if I'm going to be paid the rent. I said, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I said, at that time, I was into Zen meditation. I'm going to meditate and see what happens. I don't care. So I can't let go. I, was, so I come on my meditation after an hour, and my phone rang. And that girl we met a week before called Angel, which is an interesting name. Mm-hmm. So Eric, my brother, had a loft in Midtown. He was supposed to do a party, and he has to fly to Miami. Can you rent your, your loft for the party? I said, <laughs> of course, and they pay me 3000 US dollars. And so I had cash. So that's not the end of the story. So, and my loft was still rough. We, had, we just had renovated the floor, but it was still rough because we hadn't put the, the varnish yet. So we're in the middle of renovation, but we had the space in New York. So we rented it, and it was a party for a hip-hop group, black guys all over the place in the winter, and we were creating seats with ladders and pieces of wood people could sit. I felt a bit embarrassed to show the party because there was zero comfort zone, and they brought their own booze and stuff. So the party was good. They trashed the place, but the place wasn't ready to be, uh, could have been trashed. <laughs> we had to clean it anyway the next day. But I remember, next morning, so I said, okay, I wake up. Now I get uh, money to pay my rent, so I'm still in a game. I don't have to worry about it. And I saw in the middle of the, my loft a huge canvas, like painting canvas folded in six parts or eight parts. It was a huge piece. So I said, what is this? So I opened it, and it was a spray paint drawing of a huge black guy sitting on a rubbish bin, reading a newspaper, and the name of the paper was called No Doubt. And I said, it was New Year's Eve. I remember I said, this is the message for me. Never doubt anything. Just go with it. So that was, at this moment, I never... It totally changed my perspective on money or making things. I said, never doubt what you're going to do. Put the energy there, work hard on it, and it will come to you. So no program. I went three, I went three falls in that moment. Wow. The most massive city, New York City, Zen meditation, out of the blues you get a call. You host an amazing party on New Year's Eve, and then a message left by somebody which with probably a higher authority uh, saying no doubt never doubt yourself always believe in yourself and continue to do the good thing zen meditation very good i would like to know more about yeah, that like you do the second experience first. yes yeah so i was uh, so been in singapore i work as a as a AV director for the Fashion Week, uh, Fashion Festival and Fashion Week in Singapore for three years in a row. And I remember the second year at the Fashion Festival was the St. James Powerhouse, which just got renovated, so it was still really raw. And uh, everybody was impressed. Uh, so Emmanuel Garou's daughter, Lauren Garou, had taken the brand, he's one of the 21 couture designers 
in uh, Europe was coming and everyone said Laurent Garo is coming they were super impressed and I remember I was setting up my team with cameras and uh, equipment and I saw uh, the team of Garo coming in and I saw Blondio with Collier but carrying stuff like being part of the staff and the designer at the time was Jean-Baptiste Bali but I was lucky enough to interview and do a TV program for MTV at the time and then I was invited uh, by the wife of the French governor at the house because I wanted to interview Laurent Garo I don't know who she was so I asked the wife of the French, uh, French ambassador, not governor, sorry, can you organize the interview for me? I said, yes, sure. So I went to the French ambassador house and I set up my equipment on the second floor. And then I never saw the Lauren Garrow, I seen her, but I didn't know who she was. And then the, the wife of the ambassador, okay, she's coming up, no. And uh, prior to the interview, they had uh, set up like a really nice dinner with beautiful silver and table at the ambassador house and I said, do you want to stay for dinner? I was thinking, oh, it's too posh. I don't, I don't want to go there. So I'm going, I'm going there. So I'm sitting, uh, starting, and I saw Laurent Garraud coming up and I saw that blonde girl was carrying the equipment. And I said, you are Laurent Garraud. Say, it's me. I said, I thought you were part of the team. I said, Eric, I am part of the team. <laughs> that was a very interesting reply. And then she told me, are you staying for dinner? And she, uh, I told her, no, it's too posh. And I said, Eric, in life, you have to learn to accept everybody. That was a big lesson for me. Yeah. For somebody yeah. really humble. Yeah. In life, you you do accept everybody. It's it's all about equality and and uh, you know I, I I read a lot of lot of books in the last one year and and uh, trying to find happiness yeah. and and I think the conclusion that I have come to uh, is that happiness is kindness and kindness to all and and I think I think. There are points in life where you have to be kind to your family, your wife, your kids, to your friends, but, but strangers as well. Because that actually gives you happy moments that you were kind to somebody. True. So, uh, unselfishly, totally. So, so, totally agree with you. You know, try to accept all. Try to accept everyone and, and be kind. Great, great. So, so, coming back to our favorite topic, which is... Bitcoin. Bitcoin. <laughs> All right. So, so where are we going from here? We've seen again, uh, you know, uh, a stagnancy at four thousand, stability at uh, ninety five hundred, ten thousand, and then last week, uh, uh, roller coaster again as usual. So, so what is your prediction on on Bitcoin? I think the adoption the adoption is getting wider, and the closer we go for the end of the issuance of of the mining. I would say the way we just only go up. Bitcoin will become the new gold. That will be the, the cryptocurrency will actually support all of them and people will go back to. That will become the real uh, store of value because the network effort, effect has never stopped. People can say what they want. Every day there's a new adopter somewhere. And what we've seen, which is I think is more impressive, is third world country literally ditching their own uh, currency like Venezuela and going to Bitcoin because yeah. saying no to the US. And I think this is a big uh, stepping stone when we see that happening and I think emerging market now, people underestimate Africa which is the largest continent finally revealed to the world yeah. when, full, when Africa adopted everywhere we're going to see ma- major s- a shift into the value of Bitcoin going up and up so no, it won't be necessarily who has more Bitcoin it's the value of Bitcoin will be so high only at, even a Satoshi I see today I see one day one Satoshi will be one US dollars remember my words wow wow so how many Bitcoins is Eric holding. <laughs> this is private. <laughs> it, it, okay. it depends on the month. <laughs> all right, all right. So, so, so uh, obviously, for that we we need 
some regulatory support, especially to accelerate the adoption. Who, in your opinion, or who is your favorite regulator at the moment? Uh, there's one of them. I mean, the, it's Ryan Guthrie. He's actually, a, luckily, I'm lucky to have him as a legal advisor on Jetcoin. What I love about Ryan is based in the UK. Ryan is ex-regulator, worked with JP Morgan, regulator for SEC and the UK uh, regulatory, uh, regulatory board, and shifted to blockchain. So here we have a guy who comes from banking, regulatory from bank and uh, regulatory boards, and fully embraced blockchain. So Ryan has the view from both sides, understand both sides, and actually, for me, is a visionary in a way, see a regulatory uh, framework in place, who can help blockchain to develop and also make uh, regulatory in place. But let's talk about the challenge of this, okay? Yeah. Let's go straight to the core. What's going to be the real challenge? The moment we can pay taxes automatically on the wallet to the IRS or to tax authority, and we'll be able to follow what they do with it, what will be the, that should be regulated. I think, why don't we start by this? Taxes should be the key to the right, the right regulatory frameworks. IRS today, even SEC don't legalize crypto. IRS will still uh, charge you taxes uh, if you're a Bitcoin. That's interesting. They're actually contradictory. So I think taxes will be the way we're going to get even a wider adoption because the moment IRS will accept Bitcoin, then we'll see what they're going to do with it. Very good thought because, because at the end of the day, that is the only income that any country has. Or should have. Or should have. Who is your favorite uh, Government regulator. I think so far Singapore is one of the best I've seen because without fully endorsing it, not closing the door, let, let the lab space to develop and uh, keep on engaging. MS is really open to talk, to discuss. So far, let the project do. Obviously, they will come with the onset of regulation. People might not be happy with it, but that's what we have to deal with because I think there are enough uh, consultation, enough documentation, and enough knowledge for them to come with something which is uh, makes sense, at least at the country management and country regulation management and financial level. I think each country should set up regulation based on their financial need and on governance. Yeah, yeah. So we've got the person, we've got the government. Who's your favorite company? Uh, and, and it cannot be Jetcoin. In terms of, uh, for crypto. For crypto, for blockchain. Who, who, is, who is the company that aspires you most I think I should say Ethereum in terms of protocol, because I think Ethereum has really uh, nailed the smart contract. They took a big risk. I think I don't see Ethereum as different than an entrepreneurship as well, because Ethereum was the first uh, to raise 18.5 million back in 2014. They actually got uh, hit by ACC at that time, but accepted to pay the the, 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 the fine and discussed to ACC. But I think smart contract was really a breakthrough. They spoke about it, but they finally implemented it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I, th I think uh, ninety percent of whatever is happening today is because of those smart contracts. They have been pioneers. They do stick. Although, although I think a lot of competition is coming up, and like we were discussing earlier, it's all about use cases and the developer community. Although Ethereum is winning right now, but uh, they have to move very fast to beat competition from from other places. Yes, but I think that there's two speed here. You have the tech protocol fighting each other to be the fastest, the better, implementing smart contract the best, which is one era which is interesting, but let's look at the other race. You now we see SME and we see businesses building that on the blockchain and implementing it and try to have adoption for the user-based community or looking for new users. So 
And I think when I see that for the DAP developer, they don't really concern uh, which protocol is faster whatsoever because for them it's the all new uh, game. In fact, today if you talk to a DAP uh, developer, he'd rather to go on Ethereum because to get this token listed on exchange will be faster, yeah. cheaper. Yeah. So a new protocol can pop up tomorrow and say we're faster, better, and more secure, but uh, the, the old challenge will be well, I'm on the list. I think Binance did well with the DEX because they say you bring your token on the DEX, you might make it to the big extent, but ultimately you go back to centralized. Yeah, yeah. And then what is that one myth uh, in blockchain that, that you would like to debunk? Ah, yeah, they're not right away. I think it's um, project raising uh, $20, 50000000 dollars in 12 seconds. Yes, physically, that's true. They did raise money in that time frame. But what people have to learn and to know they were one year to two years on the road going to every conference, speaking with everyone, developing their system, their tech, speaking with the community, engaging with developers. And of course, by the time they came up with a solution, everybody in that space knew it really well and supported it. And I've been involved, I've been touched at some point, I met with the founder, the tech team, and believed in the project and really wanted that project to, to work. So the result of that one or two years in incubation in that space resulted in a crowdfunding of 12 seconds, one minute to one day of raising so much fun. It was, it was never, yeah, I come with an idea and $20 million come to, to my wallet. That ne- I mean, that never happens from my experience anyway. What I've seen every single project will raise an amount above 10 million and above. I've been incubated in that space for minimum six months to two years. That's very true. And, and not only before the project, but post-project, uh, uh, good guys like like Jetcoin and Cos, they're still there in the business, struggling, fighting every day because morally, ethically, clinically, they they, they are right and they want to be with their community. And and you people do not realize that how much effort has gone before and how much effort has gone after it. But so 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 yes, that is that is something. I think uh, sometimes uh, people know in the back of their minds, but they but they don't want to uh, come upfront about it or don't want to say. Knowledge, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, Eric? Uh, I, uh, we are we are coming to the to the end of this podcast. A uh, couple of more questions, and then I'm going to let you go. Okay. Uh, uh, life, life. What what has life taught you as a person? What is what is one learning of life that you would like to share with all of us? I think it's to, um, to compose with everything. I think if we look at us as being, right, and I like to take the comparison with uh, trees. If you look at the trees, right, what you see with your eyes is the, what's outside breathing. But if you see below the tree, if you can try to imagine looking at your tree, how the root could look, it's much deeper, much bigger. And when I look at trees, they use sunlight, they use... Uh, dust and soil in order to feed themselves. And I think humans were the same. We breathe, we actually drink, we eat, we also have emotions. So we have to learn to compose with everything around us and I think not to be afraid of it. So experimenting, learning who we are and composing with others and everything around us will actually enable apples to reach a satisfying state. And when you, when you say, when you talk about composing, what is, what is composing and how how do you how do you attain that level? I think for experience, I guess it's for experience all the time. Like you meet a new person, we decide to collaborate at a certain level. It's also assets what other can do, what you want, 
and what you need. Once you can assess these three things, then you know to work with others and first with yourself. Yeah. Having your first, the first person you have to discover yourself and on your early stage of your life, experimenting is important and make the right experience, even the wrong one, and to learn from that. Because the moment you learn from your bad experience, you learn from anybody's experience. Yes, like, like Naval Ravikant always says that the most important thing in life is my health. Not my family's, not anybody else's, my health. And in my health, most important thing is my physical health, my emotional health, and my spiritual health. Totally. So, so myself, and keeps me all composed, but I have to continue working, hustling, because there is no experience like experience. Exactly. So, so, so great, great answer. And, and, and you know, I have, I have, uh, I have, to all my listeners, I, I, uh, for, for, for ones who do not know Eric, uh, Eric is one of the most, most, most uh, ma- experienced marketing guys in Asia when it comes to blockchain and projects and IEOs and ICOs and, and, and exchanges. There is nobody who does not know Eric and there is nobody that Eric does not know. Uh, in, in our private circles, in our public circles as well, uh, Eric is one of the favorite people. Eric is the party guy. Eric is the fundraiser. Eric is Eric is Jetcoin. Eric is the jet in that Jetcoin. So, so if you guys ever ever want to uh, have uh, uh, anything to know in Asia on blockchain, uh, definitely reach out to Eric. Uh, Eric, what would be the best place to reach you? I think they can get me on LinkedIn. Okay, they can just look for me. All right. But let's be clear. I have many uh, proposals, and my focus today is really Jetcoin because we're deploying. Yes. I'm always happy to help our project, and I must say, my knowledge in marketing, advertising, coming to blockchain was a great add-on because obviously I was able I was able to have many projects on the line with my knowledge and learn in the same process, and also be able to make a decent living out of it. I've I've actually seen you pitching a lot uh, for Jetcoin. And and seen how 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 hard you've worked for Jetcoin. Uh, what is what is that one one quote that you always repeat to yourself and and in the public? For me, is a work hard, work smart, and never give up. Work hard, work smart, and never give up. Uh, funny enough, we had we had Rune Evanson uh, uh, on on the podcast last week, and and uh, he had something similar: never, never, never give up. So, so definitely never give up and no doubt, like you said earlier, uh, who, would, who would you recommend on this podcast? Who should we invite next? I think we should take uh, as a full blockchain uh, leader. I think a guy I really liked uh, is Alex, the one of the partner on, on Custodian because yes. Alex comes from Swift, comes from banking and now is developing the, on, a Custodian solution for crypto. I really like their approach and I think Alex has a lot of interesting insight to see where he comes from and where he's going with it. It will be a really interesting uh, podcast. I would like to listen anyway to have his inner thought on his shifting from uh, traditional banking to actually a custodian, which is modern banking for me. Absolutely. I, I, I know Alex very well, and and uh, we're already talking and trying to arrange a date. Perfect. Uh, when, so when, when it's going to be. Highly recommend it then. So, one last question is a question that you can ask me. Go on. All right. So. I'd like to know on your NFO when it comes, because today you join course with your project. So from the project side, I want to know what was your motivation to, to first merge with an exchange and uh, what, what you're facing with it today. 
Great, great question. I, I, you, you have the answer already, uh, uh, but but uh, the few things uh, which I would like to like to say about that. I first on the motivation. I think the motivation was very simple. That that last year we 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 tried to work on a lot of blockchain projects under Lala World, uh, where we had Lala Lens and Lala Wallet and 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 Lala ID and so on and so forth. But but. Uh, I think we were too early into mass adoption, and 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 also too early in putting up a lot of decentralized products. Whereas I think I think like we were, we earlier discussed, uh, hybrid is the way to go, for which a massive uh, massive user base is very necessary, and that is what cost has given us immediately. Uh, similarly, for cost, I think I think cost was struggling from a tech point of view. Cost was struggling from uh, from uh, marketing point of view, and that is what we we have been traditionally good at. Uh, so, so this this merger has been very good for us. Uh, for for everyone, I think in the community, things are progressing extremely fast over the last three four months. Uh, we are we are very excited how 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 cost is going. Um, as you're already aware, uh, you know, we're almost delivering one new product every week. Uh, going forward, um, it's very simple. I think, I think we, are, we are working on uh, three large phases, uh, three strategies, if I may call them. Uh, we, are, we are here for the long term. We're focusing on 10 years, not 10 months. Uh, phase one is all about users and liquidity. And phase two is about building that ecosystem of wallet and merchants where, where people can, or these users that we have accumulated can use these different services. And then the phase three is more about uh, DeFi and hybrid and B2B and, and all other services uh, which, which come along. Uh, along the journey, yes, there are going to be a lot of lot of changes in regulation changes in infrastructure changing in technology uh, so 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 we will keep on adapting as it goes but largely i think i think today it is all about users and and all about uh, the hybrid approach that we discussed okay thanks good answer very good thank you eric eric uh, thank you so much for giving me these precious hours I know how busy you are and I know how hard you work. Uh, thank you once again. And, and I owe you a coffee or a beer. <laughs> thank you very much. Okay, great. Thank you. Thanks no for the invite. Hold up.